Welcome to the Strength Coach Experience Podcast. Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lego. Your host. And here we and here we go, go, go. Welcome, everyone, to the Strength Coach Experience, uh, episode number 35. Hope everybody's having a good weekend. Uh, today, I want to welcome back Tony Ricci, uh, episode number four. Uh, we have such great conversations. I uh, figured get him back on here. Uh, and today, I want to talk about some pretty much, you know, COVID-related things in terms of performance, uh, mental performance, and just overall health. Tony, welcome back, and, and I appreciate you coming on uh, once again to have another wonderful conversation. Yeah, good to be back, Joe. We'll... Uh... We'll throw out some ideas in a tough time, right? There's so exactly. much um, that's gone on in the last year. And, and you know, fortunately, uh, it looks like we're moving out of it a little bit, uh, particularly some areas of the country better than others. And it's nice to see. I mean, we're getting moving again, getting outside. I think the as stationary as we've been through this whole, you know, the, the whole trial now of a year of it or well over, it's been the biggest problem. Um, not moving is more so for some of us than others, but just isn't very good for us, right? So being inside has been terrible for some of us, for sure. I know it has been for me. I I, I don't like it at all. No, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, some of the things that aren't addressed are the effects of being inside, right? And I don't think it's it's addressed yet because people kind of take being outside for granted. I mean, I know now, you know, you're into it, uh, people are trying, you know, probably cherishing the moments outside the house a little bit more. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, your vitamin D exposure, the amount of oxygen you get from fresh air, you know, exposure to nature, I think those are things that aren't talked about as much because people aren't aware that you get them. Even in New York City, you're outside, you know, even though there's pollution in buildings, we're still getting the exposure to the sun and we're still getting that kind of interaction with another person and, and being outside and being stuck inside. Uh, you know, really takes those things away. And it's a big adjustment for the body and for the mental stuff, because, you know, we're so used to having that. We've never had a chance to stay inside. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You look at evolutionary biology. I mean, certainly we, we, we had, you know, places we would contain ourselves to, uh, for protection from the elements, right? Sitting inside a cave, for example, for, for thousands of years or building small protection, but just about everything we had to do as a species for the vast majority of our existence required movement of some form, whether it's building a shelter, whether it's getting food, whether, you know, um, building protection from uh, weather and all the different things that so our species like we we cannot what's amazing Joe is if you really look at it it's hard for us to be a hundred percent without movement we learn better when we move we create neurogenesis in the brain when we move we're designed to do it if we weren't we probably wouldn't have two arms and two legs and when you take that away now there are some people obviously that are not as intrigued by being physically active um, and they, they have a longer stretch of inactivity and perhaps they did okay from that perspective. But even the lack of uh, social interaction and the lack of being outside, as you stated, for those of us that love it, it's extremely tough. 
no doubt we need to be outside for at least a minimum dosing on a daily basis. The modern lifestyle doesn't allow us to you know, be out there for two, three hours because of the jobs we're endurance. But nevertheless, to, to your point, uh, 10, 15 minutes of outside air, 10, 15 minutes of sun exposure is required for health. It absolutely, or optimal health. I won't say that you can't do well without it, but certainly to the vitamin D that we've talked about that you get and that the sun provides, albeit not that well where we live, but look at all the research on it. Uh, the immunoprotective effects that vitamin D has shown during COVID and why we should, you know, be taking it or supplementing it. In some areas of the country, you get a year round. You go to Florida, you go close to the equator. Okay, you have that opportunity. But up here, we don't. And we probably have three or four good months a year in order to really get, you know, vitamin D exposed. Um, vitamin D conversion from that sun. But the point to all of this is for most of us as a species, we don't do well mentally, physically, when we're not moving. We're not designed for it. We're not from a hormonal perspective, not from a neurotransmitter perspective. Uh, the brain doesn't do it. So it's been tough. And I don't think I, I realized how much I got banged up from it um, until about maybe July of last year, when, when it was about three months in, you know, and all of a sudden I woke up one day and like, this is horrible. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. horrible. I mean, you get your sun exposure, you can get out, right? We were able to get out. But anyway, point to that is we're meant to move. We have to, whether we like it or not, in a, if we will never reach our optimal capacity, cerebrally, um, cognitively, uh, physically without some form of movement and activity. Absolutely. And I, I think to your point, I think the, the one of the big things with movement, physical activity, right, the vitamin D we've talked about, it's also one of those things we were talking about a little bit about this, you know, before the show started about sleep, you know, and you don't really know how much sleep you need until you, you either get the amount of sleep you need for a little while, or you don't get the enough amount of sleep you want for a while. And I think one of the things with physical activity is that you don't really know how good you're going to feel unless you push yourself to move. So to your point before, if you're a sedentary person and you don't really move, that's your area. So you're used to feeling that way, whether, you know, knees hurt, you know, bad cognitive function, tired. But then if somebody, either yourself or, or somebody, you know, forces you to go out and move, then a lot of times you say, wow, you know, I feel great now. And now it's a new pattern. But the information out there, regardless of whether we know we're supposed to move, I don't think it's it's pushed enough. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. We're supposed to move. But it doesn't it's not the out there enough or pushed enough to get you off the couch, if you will. So, yeah, I think that's one of the problems is if you don't move a lot or you don't get a lot of sun exposure, you don't really know what you know, how good it can be for the body unless you do that. It's kind of like one of those things, right? You know, just going into psychology, if you're a person that's been had a, you know, a rough bring or whatever, and nobody's ever showed you love, you only know hate and those feelings, and you truly don't know what that other one is until you're exposed for it, right? We can look at it in terms of performance. If you're a person stuck in flexion all the time, I can give you all the cues you want to get you into hip extension, but if you've never really been there, both the body biomechanically and biochemistry, the brain doesn't know what it feels like to be there. So I think that's another thing why it kind of falls under the radar because it's not, you know, this, this is the problem A and here's the solution B. It's you can stay this way and you can live a decent life sitting on the couch, but 
if you push yourself or somebody you know pushes you to go outside, now that's a whole nother life that we now can live, but we might not have been exposed to it at all if we didn't make those jumps. Yeah, you're, you're right on that. I think it's, and it's circular because you may not know. And, and again, we're not talking for those that haven't been very active and we know how bad that is, particularly with COVID, right? With, and, and to no one's fault, what did we do? Um, in the early phases of it, we immobilized people, we put them on their back uh, or, you know, and ventilator. And it was the absolute worst thing we could do. And, and that's nobody's fault. We didn't, we didn't really realize that at the time. Now, what do they get you doing? Moving right away, uh, promote circulation, promote blood flow. Don't let, you know, cytokine surge build up too much from being stationary. And you're absolutely right. You know, that if per- people have not moved, maybe, you know, this is something we'd like to get them. I do wish to your point that because a good deal of the country example in our case can get out there and move. They can be active a substantive portion of the year. Now I, you know, we go to winters, it's a little tougher. No one wants to go out there and freeze and getting people active. And the good news about it, we're talking walking on a boardwalk. We're not talking about doing sprints outside, right? We're talking about some sun exposure or finding a park that you liked, whatever it is that uh, intrigues you most and, and just, Go with a friend. You're going to talk to people on the phone. You might as well go outside when the weather permits and talk next to them while walking. Because again, this does everything. Immunoprotective. It does lift mood. Even I I honestly believe that not everyone has the same effect from exercise to the extent that if you and I go for a run, people say you get a run as high, right? Maybe you and I would get it more than someone else. And they're going to say, "I, I just don't get it. I don't feel it like you guys do. That's probably the case where some people don't, uh, you know, gravitate to an exercise because they do it in, okay, they feel pretty good, but it's not like others may feel where they're absolutely, you know, feel high and going through the roof. However, the, the aggregate is I do think if you move for a while, get out, do the walking, be outdoors, get some sun over three or four months, once that's removed, then you start to feel the difference. And then you know what the absence is like. So yes, moving shows you the disparity on how much you can feel better. But for those of us that train every day, and it's almost as normal as us breathing, we don't realize how important it was till it was gone too, particularly at a given level. So, you know, I woke up one day, like I said, and almost didn't recognize myself and mood declined over time because of the absence of it, uh, that movement and the training. So from every perspective, look, I don't know what the answer is sometimes, Joe, and I agree with you that we have not emphasized it enough. We're emphasized in the masks. Wonderful. Okay. If, if that's the direction you want to go, staying indoors, quarantining, but when and where people can be active, that is the best defense probably against any type of bacterial infection or virus because you need it. That's how we get stronger. That's how we get blood flow. That's how the immune system uh, increases in strength by being outdoors. We know that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, bring up your point about walking on a boardwalk. I still think, although, right, you see it every day on Instagram, every day anyway, oh, 15 minutes a day here, read a book, meditate. But I still don't think it's, it's, a, it's a point that's gotten. And I mean that as 
It's as simple as walking up and down your driveway, right? We've talked about being in New York. It's frigid temperatures, right? Yeah. You can literally be outside and walk for 10 minutes. You could walk up and down your driveway for 10 minutes. I don't think that it's still understood of, you know, cause there's that, that kind of that, that teeter totter, I guess, right. Where you see the videos on Instagram with the guy doing, you know, backflip burpees and doing pushups onto 13 dumbbells. And instead, not that that's bad, you know, again, we no, don't want to attack all. anything, but if you're a person who doesn't go outside, walk up and down your driveway. If your driveway is 20 feet long, go back and forth for 15 minutes, you know, 10 minutes, anything like that. Read a book for 10 minutes. I don't think it's understood how little you have to do. I think yeah. that people, just like you said, oh, if I'm going to go outside, I have to run. I got to go outside for an hour. I have to go to the gym and, and work out for four hours. That's not necessarily true. It's all about just being active. Even if you walk around your living room, I mean, as exactly. boring right. as that is, but you know, I think it's one of those things where people, right. You, you bring up the word exercise, you bring out the word, go out for a run or go out for a walk or get exercise. I think the word is blurred by people automatically think of kettlebells and low body fat and, and running and until exhaustion or, or perfect form. And I think it needs to be more emphasized, just like move. You, you can, you can get up from your couch and, and walk around the, the Island in your kitchen and sit back down and do that 10 times every five minutes. You know, I think those are things where we, we kind of not drop the ball, but those are not the things that are emphasized. You know, if you said to a kid I that know. plays video games, Hey, every time you start a new level in call of duty, do pushups, right? Do some dumbbell raises, something like that, where we can kind of tie it into their their uh, irregular patterns. I think that is, you know, all the things you've been talking about, you know, um, it's you have to tie things into the patterns. And also just to touch on your point, I have to work out more now because my body is literally at the point where if I sit down, things will hurt me. But if I if I go to the gym, I'm fine. Case in point, the other day I got up. I was literally walking around hunched over, like grabbing onto things because my back was killing me. Then I went to the gym and I ran and I felt great. Next yep. day, same thing happened. I went out to the mountains with my sister and I hiked up a mountain and my back felt great. So, yeah. uh, you know, mine's starting to kind of fight back where I have to move all the time. And the more I sit down, my body just you know starts to disintegrate. You know, no doubt. It is fascinating. It's fascinating. You, and I, I'm not recommending this to anybody, but I can't tell you how many injuries I trained through because they felt worse when I didn't do anything, yep. you know, but nevertheless, I think that's a really good point. And I don't really know what the answer is, Joe. I, I don't think we've sold well, how little activity that I, activity of daily living, if you want to call it neat. ADL, activity, daily living, non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, however you want to frame it. And I don't think we've sold well uh, how good it can be in that, to your point, move. Um, the healthiest people I knew, and at least in my lifetime, that were older than me, that were my great aunts or my grandparents, as an example, I, they didn't work out, but they never stopped moving, walking, gardening. Uh, just cleaning around the house. They, they would programmed almost to keep moving. And that is a major contributor to health. Maybe not fitness. Okay, if you want to climb a mountain, just being focused on your activity of daily living, 10,000 steps daily, maybe it's not going to make you you know, in an elite, elite level of conditioning to compete in an event or have the abs that you talk about on Instagram or do any, you know, any crazy videos. But it is where health is based. 
Health is based in movement. It's not always based in super high intensities. It may not even based, be based in, in the American College of Sports Medicine's exercise guidelines or cardiovascular guidelines exclusively, such as, you know, 150 minutes a week, which would be wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful. But to your point, it is the aggregate. It's the people that don't stop moving and do something that they enjoy. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't, but I've had family members that can't wait to wash the dishes after they're eating. I don't know why. I want no part of it. But they do. And then they get moving again. And that is, the to your point, health is about movement, volitional activity, doing things that you like. If you can integrate exercise, which has a formal amount of time, intensity, right? Frequency, that's really exercise. We prescribe this amount for a minimum days per week at this intensity. And we know that can elicit a particular result for the cardiovascular system or burn a certain amount of calories or favor fat burning versus uh, carbohydrate burning. But in the end, getting people just to be active in an aggregate of you know, 10,000 steps a day matters. You and I can train really hard for an hour, but there's still, how many hours are we up? 16? And if we're doing nothing for those 15, we're still limiting our overall health. We might've worked one physical quality or one biomotor quality. Okay, we're stronger. But how good is it for our health to sit around 15 hours a day, even after one hour of a workout? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not good to sit down. And it's also, you know, I think that balance you're talking about, if you even if you work out, if you're a gym goer, if you're listening for two hours, right, but then you sit around and do nothing, what's the cost, right, where we can move around. And I think to what you brought up before, too, is very interesting with my relatives, too. You know, grandparents out there gardening, constantly oh, being yeah. on the move at 70, like the whole day weekend was planned around stuff, right? Oh, we're going to wash the floors. We're going to you know, my grandfather used to mow the lawn at his house with one of them. Remember those push things? Absolutely, push yes. yes. If you touched the blade, it would rip your hand off. And you There's know, no motor. Nope, exactly. It would be by propulsion. But I also think to, to what you brought up, I want to touch on, I think there's the fine line between overall health or just general health for, you know, longevity and making changes, significant changes to the body. I don't think that line has been specified because, you could go outside every day and walk around for 10 minutes and that's going to help you in better with general. Now, this is only if you're a sedentary person. Right. Now, if you want to start to lose body fat, you want to be you know, better than your average person. Now we come with the diet and the exercise and Certainly. the prolonged planned out stuff. And I think what happens is it's the overwhelming of shooting right to that, that deters a lot or people kind of talk themselves out of because if you're a person and this isn't a negative who sits on a couch right maybe doesn't have the best diet and is a relatively sedentary person and i say hey it's supposed to let's work out you don't automatically think hey joe or tony's going to come over we're going to walk up and down my driveway for 10 minutes and then we're going to have a nice orange right you think okay he's going to bring me to the gym we're going to work out for an hour in an uncomfortable place doing things that i'm uncomfortable with doing or i don't know about or i'm already afraid of and then i'm going to have to eat a bunch of stuff that i don't like and yeah, I think correct. that giant list of, oh, my God, I mean, it's like waiting in line at a roller coaster, right? 
once you get on it, it's not bad. But if you stack it all up in the beginning, instead of saying, hey, tomorrow we're going to walk for 12 minutes, I'm going to walk right with you. We're going to go at your pace. If you need to stop or rest, we'll stop. And then in terms of diet, don't worry about that. We'll take care of that in a month or two months once we develop consistency. And I think pattern and consistency should be, you know, pushed over what you're actually doing. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Great points on here. Um, I think you, you, your other point is so well taken. You know, look, as humans, most of us, and I have very little, we have a bandwidth, like a computer. Mm-hmm. And the person that may be on, you know, the couch a little too much on the weekend, maybe the discipline that they apply in several other areas in life is outstanding. And we don't see that uh, in their job, their dedication to their family or um, the hours of work that they put in. So the point is, it is hard to be disciplined in 10 areas sometimes. It just is. And so entry into physical activity, to your point, you're absolutely right. I think the initial perception amongst people is always a zero to 60 in diet, in training, in intensity, and there's not a really easier entry point to that. And that a lot of people do get deterred immediately because of the definition of pure exercise, like a, a minimum amount, four or five days a week, this intensity, going to the gym. And some people, there are areas in life, Joe, I just, I'm not as disciplined because I apply it in five or six other areas. So what we have, I think sometimes we have to understand that. And say it's okay, okay, these, you know, they do sit on the couch a little bit much, but look what, what how they excel in these other areas. So how do we get them and how do we enter them into physical behaviors that are good for their health without overtaxing discipline again? There is a bandwidth or a limitation, even in substrate utilization, meaning discipline requires calories. You gotta, it burns more fuel probably, right? Some research shows this. I think it's Baumeister who was out of Florida and he was back and forth, but a lot on on the brain's limitations in discipline. So I've always looked at it and say, okay, we have the danger of being too soft by saying, okay, well, all you have to do is this. But my point to all of that is people are putting efforts in many places in life. We want to change a few things about each behavior so that one behavior doesn't have to go too far. So if we can make a half hour improvement in sleep or one hour, a few small dietary changes, a couple of more walks a week, then we're not taxing them in any one area too much because what will happen is if they're not, you know, trying to sleep a bit more, trying to make a few wiser food decisions, well, then they got to exercise way more to compensate for the other two. Right. So it's a it's a tough balance sometimes, because if we look at the population of which only about 15 percent is regularly active, we've got a lot of strategy and convincing to do to get people to to get into this lifestyle on a daily basis. And I don't know if any of us have all the answers on how to get entry and then how to get adherence. But certainly, what can we be sure of? About 85 percent of the people in our population it doesn't appeal to at all right now because they're not doing any form of physical activity regularly. If we do what you said, show them that, you know, 
It's physical activity more than always exercise. How do we make them cognizant of that? How do we put a value on walking or just getting outside and almost promising them not equal results to, you know, that to the gym, but promising them some results, you know, some benefits so that they may get initially engaged and maybe we can make a change. But right now, I don't know what the proper messaging is all the time because look at our numbers. Look at 20, 22 states with over 30% obesity. I think it's 11 or 12 as of 2018 or 2019 with over 35% obesity. Think about that, right? 31 to 32 states. Well, oh, this obesity, not overweight. So I don't, I don't know how we get the entry. And these are the things we have to, we have to continue to discuss and, and find ways. 5% of the population may like Weight Watchers. The other 10 may like this diet. Whatever it is, whatever we can get people to get involved in, that's great. Yeah, uh, I think that one of the things you, you brought up is, is you, you, you know, as, and I'll take it, you know, I like to always in these conversations, take it as, as our fault as a performance instead of blaming the, not a fault, but, you know, take more of the blunt than that oh, in a way that it's, I think one of the, then this is just for my opinion, going out where I've been, and I'm sure you've met them too. Your hardcore trainers too, or a lot of people in the industry too, they fail to address or understand what you talk about, right? Just because so-and-so sits on the couch and doesn't like physical activity, he might have run a Fortune 500 company. He might be the best boss right. on the planet. He might be the best negotiator, advertiser, you know, down the line that you can. So you have to understand that in your life as a professional, right? For everybody listening who's a coach and just starting out, whatever, is that you have, instead of him putting everything towards fitness, this person or potential clients out there have put everything towards being the best at advertising, That's being right. the best at, at something else. So you have to understand that when you get all excited about training, it doesn't really phase them. Because if you sat me and I'm sure you down, Tony, and you started, you're all excited about accounting and crunching numbers and finance. I could care less. Now that might be your passion, but there's no way you're going to get me to grab a calculator exactly. and start adding things up. It just doesn't happen. So I think that is sometimes where we miss it. Cause I have seen it where you have trainers that are, you know, you have to lift, you have to train and you have to understand what it feels like and you have to want to train five days a week. Right. And that's where I need you instead of, you know, with me, I, I think personally for, for private clients, the thing that's helped me a lot is I understand my clients and I don't get mad at them if they come in and we have a, we have a session at seven and they say, look, Joe, I've had a terrible day. I don't want to be here. I'll give you a half hour. And they're on the phone in between sets dealing with business. Now, what am I going to do? Get mad at them? No, I am able to, it's not exactly what I want but I'm able to move around their schedule and give them at least something to make them better than they used to be. And I think that's where a lot of people fail. They, they think that not fail, but, but struggle is that if they show up, you know, if they come 15 minutes late to a session, it's not a wash. You have 45 minutes, right? Although you didn't get this whole thing done, you know, I think there's still time. And to your point, I always want to bring this up because I, I love the word bandwidth, right? For those that don't know what that means in terms of the human species, it's that it's the ability to either kind of set a goal and then how much time it takes for you to get a reaction or even as little as me saying something to you and then you saying back. And I think the thing with the fitness industry or just losing weight and being healthier in general is I think it's one of the purest bandwidths and it's scary. And by that, I mean, if I say I'm going to work out tomorrow 
And by two weeks from tomorrow, I'm going to lose five pounds. Two weeks from tomorrow comes, I either lost five pounds or I didn't lose five pounds. Four and a half doesn't work. Six was okay. And three was all right. And I think that's where it terrifies people. So it's easier to say, well, I'm going to try to go to the gym next week. That way, if you went once, you tried. And if you thought about it for a week, you also tried. And I don't think people want to have that pressure because there's too much pressure in the rest of life. That's right. You know, that's right. And, and, you know, again, that's a fine line because in, so we could say, well, we're almost baby in them, but, but we're not because they are. Ex- now there are people, Joe, right. That just, they're just not doing anything productive. And, you know, there are a host of comp- complicated reasons for that. But, um, but you made a nice point too, that I think, you know, like, you're right. I'm not going to get excited about accounting. So if I'm training an accountant, I'm not going to get excited about it. But they have a few tips that may interest me mm-hmm. on what I can do to make my business better. Absolutely. On yeah. what I can do to maybe, hey, maybe it's better to have the money I have saved here, right? There's always a benefit that would still come from that without me worrying about the most complicated of tax laws. In essence, that's also what we we can do for those that are not engaged in a, a program right now that you, hey just please do a b and c that is all you need to do right now right you know go walk 15 try to make a couple of better food choices how you sleep in six if you can get it and negotiate another half hour an hour here are the benefits that would happen from that so in in, in to your point instead of just selling what hit training will do what various types of training may, modalities may do. Let's sell and let's promote what changes, just simple changes in behavior will do for their health. And I think the most important thing that I've tried to find is if you find out what's important for them in life mm-hmm. and you connect these behavioral changes directly to that, you might have a better shot at getting some action right? Or get them to move toward that. So some people, some people might say, yeah, well, business is tough. I crunch numbers all day. Um, I'm under a lot of pressure to make big decisions in finances, right? Well, physical activity, we know is going to make the brain more effective at that. The only thing that's going to really promote neurogenesis and the creating of new pathways right now is physical activity. And so what do we do? We find a couple of studies that show how being active improves cognition. And now you're relating that to, you know, these behavioral changes to them being better at the things that may matter most to them at that time. And if you can do, that's what I try to do with food. Sometimes people don't always want to eat what we recommend. It can be boring and what we strategize and say, Hey, let's try this here and here. But when they sit before that plate, what is that plate? That plate is not just, Hey, Oh, it's good for me. No, it's you. We connect the swordfish to the fact that they have six goals in life that are unrelated to fitness, but the swordfish can help them achieve those. And the truth is it will, it's not a reach. You, you'll be better at everything you do if you practice certain behaviors in life. You mentioned them earlier, meditation, hobbies, a little bit of being outdoors, good social relationships, and finding a, uh, the, the exercise activity or physical activity that you either won enjoy the most 
or two dislike the least. I, I, I hate to phrase it that way, but sometimes we have to, you know? Yeah, well, absolutely. I, I think, and I, and I love what you said it. And I think it's important for everybody to understand what you have to relate it to what they want, right? If they have a daughter, right. And they're, they're obese. Hey, do you want to walk your daughter down the aisle? Right? Not to be, exactly. not to be, you know, cynical, but, but these are the things, Oh, okay. You want to make more money. Well, if you work out for a little while, you'll be able to do more work at your job and you'll be more likely everywhere. So you make more money. And I think it's the ability to generalize what they like and add it to what, you know, you and I like, I think that's a big deal, you know, and, and just talking about that, that is what your goal is as a performance coach, as a trainer. And I don't think it's emphasized because newsflash for everybody out there listening. I don't care if I make everybody mad. Any person can get you in shape using any of the 17,000 ways there is. Hit training works great. Yoga works great. Lifting weights, dumbbells, right. functional training, whatever you fighting, the way in which somebody does it is not a big deal, especially if you don't move around. I mean, we could do anything. So I hate when it's hit, like you said, hit training is the only thing to do. Olympic lifts are the only thing to do. Right. Go buy a Peloton because that's the end all be all. No, any of these things will work. And I think that people get confused or caught up in which one is better than, and to your point, and I think it's great. What do you like the least? Because that is what we have to deal with a lot. It's never, they're never going to come. I love this. Obviously, if, if, you know, if they came to you and said, you know, I really love dumbbells and I really love getting my heart rate up and I don't really like screwing around a lot in the gym. I like it short. That's beautiful. But most of the time it's, I mean, I used to have clients who I ended up loving, but I hate this machine. I hate that exercise. Yeah, yeah, I hate yeah. this. Or, you know, you get the ones you get really close. You know, I hate everything we do. But I do it because I like you and I know it's going to help. So here we go. You know, where they will physically tell you, well, I hate this exercise. I hate this thing. This is stupid and blah, blah, blah. So I think you have to kind of dance around with it, right? We're not, we're not doing anything crazy. We're just getting people to move. And I think it's, I always said, it's like putting on a Broadway play, right? The people come in, they sit down. You're putting on a show as a trainer. And I always think that before people train and coach, I think it's very important to understand that when you do this fully, you're taking the responsibility of the energy for not only yourself, but for the person coming in and whatever they're lacking in that day. So yeah. potentially for every client you have for an hour long session, you're, you're producing 150%, sometimes 200%. And I, and I do talk about this too with longevity of training and some people get it and don't people that train all day, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 sessions in a day. And I'm always like, I mean, I know personally, and I'm sure you do Tony, Three sessions in a row, I need a break, right? Two, three teams in a row, I need a break. Why? Because it drains me mentally because I'm all there. You know, it's not just standing there with my t-shirt on counting reps. I'm all there all the time. Oh, if I have somebody like soccer, I'm going to go look up some soccer stuff. So that why? So these lunges that they hate, I can talk about what happened last night in soccer while they do the lunges that they hate. And now they like lunges because they forgot that they did them. Yeah, yeah. There's some good strategies right there. There's some good strategies right there. And that is the art of coaching. Yep. That's the art of we we all need to be facilitated in some area with assistance, with coaching, with leadership and job. Um, when we were educating ourselves, subjects we don't like. Right. Oh but we got to get through them. We get through them because they're part of the bigger goal. And some way or another, we know, hey, you know, I don't love statistics. 
but having an overview of how they used and what's going on. And just that 30,000 foot view of statistics does help me in other areas, right? It gives me a, a little bit of an understanding and, and, and makes me more versatile in my total knowledge. So you talked about great strategies there. How do we move people toward the goal when they're not always uh, going to be on that given day excited about doing it and utilizing them, making them think about the things they like while they do a couple of lunges? Maybe potentially the association with the lunges becomes more positive in the future because what was going on at the time, maybe a little smile. Hey, they can laugh and talk and still do a good lunge. Right. When we're not loading them with 225 on their back and asking them to no, they got a dumbbell in their hand. Maybe they got a mirror in front of them. You're focusing on their form. You're behind them. You're talking to them and they're not, you know, they're concentrating. They're still getting some good work. So there's a really good point there, too. How do we continue to make the journey in doing the machine that you said that they don't like? Can we connect a few more positive associations to that machine? This, that's really what it is. There are areas, again, where I need this help in my life, and I go to people for it. It doesn't mean I'm weak. It doesn't mean I'm lazy. It doesn't mean I'm not disciplined. It means that is just not where things, it's all uphill for me, and that's okay. I accept that. It's uphill. I need people that can help guide me because they just killed it at that. So I like how you reframe those things in training. How do we make the experience a more positive association? I'll use an analogy that we do a lot in fight sports with weight cuts as an example. Whether or not it's healthy, that's a separate issue. But a lot of the athletes will use, as you know, a hot bath, right? And that's how they'll pull or they'll push in the sauna. Okay. So what do I have them do throughout the whole camp? Take a hot bath one night. Don't pressure yourself. Enjoy it. Burn some incense if you like. Um, you know, watch a little bit, of, listen to good music that you like. Build the association with that practice is not only being a negative association with the torture of, oh my God, I got to get this done. I got to do that. That's kind of, as coaches, what we can try to do. Help them, uh, you know, this is what they want to achieve. Here's why doing the lunges is going to help it. Here's why doing them. I know you, don't, you hate the chest machine. You're allowed to hate it. But here's what it's going to do for you. And then you'll be carrying your daughter, you know, like you said, right, mm -hmm. uh, across the field. Or you'll be there for the college graduation. Those are the ways we have to relate it because what matters to them is going to differ than us. Some people in fitness just don't get it. I don't understand why people don't love it. If they just give it a chance, they'd have that high. They'd fall in love with it. I've given art a chance. It does nothing for me. It doesn't, you just, I go in the museum. Okay, cool, cool. That guy's good. This is horrible. Uh, this woman did a beautiful job. This guy sucks. I'm out of here, right? That's it. And some people could stare at that painting for nine hours and be completely stimulated, fascinated by the depth the colors, how they did it, where that painting takes them. That's the difference with all of us. Some people won't have that physical activity interest that we do. We, even though physical activity is good for us, I don't think we can inherently assume everyone is going to love it to the extent that we do. They won't. So 
every strategy we can use to bring them in, make them enjoy it, connect it to why they're a great accountant, stockbroker, parent, grandparent, is, is the best chance we have of bringing people in, keeping the population healthy. So if a virus comes again, 78% of those we lost, unfortunately, CDC data, not mine, were obese. Does that mean 60%, 70% of that 78 could have survived? Maybe. You know, this is not just about anymore. It's, it's a social issue. It, 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 Dr. Fauci wants to talk about the behaviors we can change a mask, distancing. Well, keep telling everyone you take vitamin D every day and run four miles. You don't tell anyone that. He's 80 years old and to his credit, although I'm, I feel as if he's been wrong just about every stage of the way. I've been through his papers and I read the literature. That's okay. People, that's my perspective. But the man's 80 years old, runs four miles a day. He's 80 years old, takes vitamin D. He eats healthy. Don't ever hear him speaking to this. Just the mask. Just the social distancing, just not going out to eat, just wearing two masks after the vaccine. That's wonderful. But there are a lot of people out there right now that are trusting you. Maybe if you told them to go take a walk and how they can do it safely. And nicely said, you know, if you have a, a if you're close to your, your optimal weight, this can help reduce the chance or build your immune system in concert with the mask so that you have even less a chance of getting or you'll get it, but you'll fight it. You'll beat it. So, you know, those are more messaging I'd like to see, too, from people that are leading an example during COVID, leading the mission. And no one's talking in enough depth about these behaviors. Precautionary measures. Yes. Okay. A mask isn't that much behavioral change. You put it on. Stay away from somebody. It's an inconvenience. But long-term behavioral practices, you're the physician that supposedly the whole world has been listening to. Um, Got to tell people to do this. Everything we're talking about right now. Absolutely. This is exactly why I wanted to talk about this with you, because this is not talked about. And, and I think right there, I agree with you completely. Stop telling people to wear six masks and, you know, stay inside and explain to them. I think the, the two words we look at, and, you know, like we've talked about before, it's that that frog in boiling water scenario, right? Yeah. We like to be, we, we like to take precautions instead of being proactive, right? right? So instead of telling people, get outside, run, walk, take vitamin D, take your vitamins, start to be more active. It's sit inside, wear a mask, wait for a pharmaceutical company to come out with a medicine so you can continue to do the same things that you did before this all happened and you know, you'll know you be okay. And I think that, especially for me, is the biggest problem. This, these, the numbers that you talked about, right? With those secondary uh, health risks of you yeah. know, the 78%, this should be a, a sign. And, and me and, and Mike Stella talked about it as well of, oh my God, we need to figure out how to become healthier because that is what this really exposed. Not we can be taken over by a pandemic and we need to, you know, learn how to be better at handling things. Absolutely not. The biggest point of this that keeps getting swept under the rug is how unhealthy we are as a society. And a little thing, not a little thing, but a, a virus like this can just take everybody down. And then whether it's right or wrong, because I don't want to get involved in that either, but 
if you t if you tell people to stay inside and get out of the sun and you put a covering over their face, now you're reducing their physical activity and the efficiency of how they are biologically. And then if you're a person who's not active at all, now you're just you're primed to get this and have some problems. And I think no that doubt. is. You know, I think that is the biggest thing because we've talked about it before. You know, I've worked out forever and so have you. And I had problems getting things and finding new things to do and, you know, being away from a weight room. But if you're a person who doesn't move and now you might have went out to the mailbox or you went out to the grocery store twice a week to, to walk around and get groceries. And that might have been your whole thing. And you barely went outside. And now all of a sudden we have no sun. We have no outside. So what are you supposed to do? And those type of people, and I, and I want to bring this up too, just to go back around, those people in their house, just because you talk about physical activity, they're not going to say, oh, gee, you know, maybe I should get up and walk around my kitchen. And I think that is something you brought up as well, is that you have to understand, you know, that medical history form we talked about, I don't think people understand you want to take that and you want to go back to when the person was seven years old, because if they're for their entire life, their entire family has never done an ounce of physical activity, you can't expect them to walk into your gym and be raring to go for 45 minutes. And yeah. most of the time, unless exactly. they're professional athletes, if they're seeking out a trainer, it's because they do not have, they do not have the drive to do it on their own or they've identified that they don't have the ability to stay consistent. And that is the full reason why they're going to see you. They're not coming to see you because they want suggestions because they love going to the gym 90, to 90 minutes, three times a week. They're going to you because they have either a identified they have a problem or B identified that they're not going to be held accountable or on a positive note, you get people that are aware of that. I don't like exercise and this is not something that I'm going to hold myself to. Let me go hire somebody. So I think that's where we, when the person walks into the gym, those are the things that they already have. You know, every, I know everybody wants somebody that rides their bike to the gym and hops off their bike and carries it up the stairs and then boom, I'm 10 minutes early for my session with you. But most of the time, unless you're in a professional realm and Tony, I'm sure you can talk about it a little bit better because, you know, UFC and fighting, they're a little bit more driven, you know, in the sports world. But in terms of general population, you very rarely come across people like that or not that that's not out there, but more than none, the people that needed or, or you're going to help or not those people that are, are mountain biking to the gym. No, you're right. And, and you know what, Joe, that's hard because it's uphill. And I, I've had clients, you know, I've, I, I did a lot of personal training when I was young and it is uphill when you try to work with somebody, try to help them change their behaviors, want to see them lose a little bit of weight. Right. And they're not fully there yet. It's kind of frustrating. You and, and you'll doubt yourself, even though you know you're kind of making the right recommendations. You're kind of trying to put together the right program, but their behavior is external to the time that they're with you. Don't really allow to to make the progress that you'd want. So we, I'm not going to lie. What do we do? We go to athletes and the motivated because it's so much easier. Okay, boom, we're going to do this. And, and then there's none of the back and forth. There's none of the struggle. There's none of the, you know, playing ping pong. Hey, can you do this? And then they say yes, but then they hit back another obstacle. And then you got to hit back that. It's challenging. It's really challenging. And for personal trainers who, who stand by that, maybe they have no choice because that's how they make a living with that clientele or some really genuinely want to make a legitimate change. 
I commend her. I commend it because it's hard. And at times it's not just discouraging for the person paying the trainer who's not making progress. I found it really discouraging, right? When you're working hard, they're paying you. And I never felt good about taking money and they're not really losing the weight. And you know, generally you're improving their health still. I mean, they're doing behaviors that are, you know, they t- they've advanced their previous ones. They're doing, taking some steps but certainly you'd like to see more progress with that. And we've got a population out there for those that are willing to get to that population. And once they get with them, try to bring them in and work with them and struggle with them. Cause it will be a struggle to make them change enough behaviors to have a substantive change in their health, even cosmetically, which is nothing wrong with wanting to look differently. But again, it's about 85% of your population in this nation. And there are always going to be some people that want to train with a trainer. There are, there are always plenty. So for those who wish and are aspiring at a young age to get into training people and genuinely think they can help them improve their health, go, go do it. It will be a challenge. No two ways around it. You'll have you motivated. You will. You'll run into the, the, the woman or the man that will carry. They're a stockbroker, but they'll carry the bike up there and you'll push them further. That's wonderful. But a lot who have been extremely successful, like we said earlier, who don't have the bandwidth, you know, or, or have only a little bit left in the tank for the discipline of the training. They're going to also be the ones who've been very successful and can honestly, which is perfectly fine, pay you the money to make a living and help them advance. And it will be at times one step back, maybe a couple of forward. So it isn't just, you know, always, we have to have a group of people that are really willing to get out there and help that population. Because to your point, we all want to go with the athletes in many ways. It's more challenging in some ways because there's more, you know, that you have little room, you have less room for error. But it's a lot easier in some ways because they're already on autopilot, right? Let's do A, B, and C. They're right there with you. The other population, we're lucky if we can get them there to do A, never mind B and C. So really interesting thoughts on that uh, as trainers, what, we are, what we're going to be challenged by. And I don't, I think I say, you know, to every young student, you're not just a trainer anymore. You are someone that is impacting the socioeconomic infrastructure of the United States. This is a mission beyond just them wanting to lose 10 pounds. You're changing the healthcare system. You're preventing disease. You're, if you stay with people in uh, like Brooklyn, Kings County, where let's all be honest too, it is harder to go outside and walk for some people in a busy area. It really is. So I think we have to account for that. How do we help them? You live on Flatbush Avenue. You know, there's some areas to walk, right? But it's certainly a lot harder than if you live in the rural suburbs. So we've got, you know, got to be creative, got to be dedicated, got to be willing to, you know, to dig in with those that are not going to come up run up the stairs and say, let's go. And at times it is a little bit discouraging, but if you make a change in that individual, uh, you'll remember it and they'll remember you forever because I'm friends with clients from 30 years ago because they made permanent changes or did so well, they became a trainer. 
That's what we want. How do you get the person that's not working out to be a trainer one day and they fall so in love with it? Absolutely. Uh, same thing. I have clients I talk to all the time and I trained them 11 years ago. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, you know, you know, what's, what's wild. And, and I'm sure you'll agree is that the, you go, you set out to train or to coach a certain number of, of people, whether it athletes or whatever. And usually what happens is it's the client that you least expect that are the closest, right? And for yeah. me, it was athletes, strength, conditioning, baseball, highest of the high, best of the best. My closest clients are 85 year old women that, you know, had knee problems exactly. or different things. And, and we worked together and I met their family and they used to cook me dinner and all kinds of amazing things. And those are the ones that I cherish, you know, and, and to the, the stuff you talked about, I, I think the, the number that we're looking for also is that it's one to 24, right? If you had an odds of one to 24, most people wouldn't bet on things right in the masters in baseball. That is the odds we play with every day. Because you're having somebody come in to see you and you have to bank that the one hour a day that you're with them is going to affect the other, excuse me, 23, but the overall 24. So it's okay. So I have an hour with this person who doesn't like to do this. Whatever I do in the information that I give them, is this going to overpower the other 23 hours of the day? And I think that is where I think we, we, not get caught, but we forget, right? It's because you could do hit training for an hour, right? But if you go home and you go right to Krispy Kreme and then your your face is beat red because you're screaming on a conference call for eight hours and then you're eating sugary drinks and drinking alcohol, then you sleep for six hours and then the next morning you got to get up and you got to chase the children around and then you do that over and over and over again. That hour of hit training that I did for you is actually nothing. It actually might make things worse. So I think- that is where, you know, a lot of the times where we have to understand, and to your point, when you get involved in this, and I know what happened for me, I'm just going to train people because I liked working out and you get to make money. And what happens is you realize you're the psychiatrist, you're the yeah. chef, you're the everything. And if you really, and, and I think that the fear that you talked about as well, when you get into this and you start to realize how big of an impact you can honestly have with these people's lives, it should terrify you. Yeah. Not in a bad way, but you should say, okay, you know, so-and-so came because if I don't do my job, they could potentially die. Not that scare everybody out there, but if you have some older people with some different things going on, life and, you know, their, their capacity to live long or short is resting on your shoulders. I mean, I've gotten some people with all kinds of osteo issues and heart problems and diabetes and just complete and other messes. And, and thank God I, I knew enough. I was able to, you know, reverse a lot of those things. But I think it's that the understanding of the impact that you actually are having and the thing that some people are trusting you with, and also the minuscule amount of time on a daily basis that you actually have with them, right? So you say with a good client, I have three hours out of, what is that? 130 something, how many hours in a week, whatever. But three hours to make to to be, to possibly make the biggest change out there because they know that their job isn't going to make them healthier, right? All these other things that we've talked about that they're into other than fitness, they already identify that aren't going to make their life better, right? Exactly. Besides relationships and social stuff, I'm talking yeah. about from work. They know that the job of them working 18 hours a, a day, you know, running a Fortune 500 country is not healthy. Everybody knows that. Absolutely. Well, there it is. Really. Um, that's, 
what I think is good about this conversation, Joe, is you're leading people that are getting into this to think differently and, and to see the global impact, one that you can have. But again, we talked earlier about exactly what you said. Why is just moving more so important? Because you can always move more for 15 hours. You can't always train for 15 hours, mm-hmm. right? And the aggregate of that movement for 15 hours compared to the one hour of training is much greater in the 50. So the point to all this is you're at, there is, it's hard. You said it well too, the 168 hours, I think in a week, and maybe I'm getting three. And in that three, I don't have to just work them out. I've got to find out what matters to them. What's a challenge for them what they what they like, what they don't like, and where I could potentially move their behavior a little bit so that the the entire effort here makes forward progress. So that is really, you know, it, it's not easy to do. But I like that in this discussion, because more and more, there's more and more discussion. In an athlete, what? The athletes went from, okay, training and skill practice to recovery to sports psychology. So it's been expanded because if we know that there's a global nature to any one goal that you're trying to achieve, any one goal that anybody's trying to establish. So this tells us, okay, what do we need to know about him? Like I got a good quote in this um, here from Revisa and, you know, he was one of the great sports psychologists and this pertains to your client, not just the, the athlete, but, When I work with athletes, I want to know their dreams and assess where they're starting from in the journey. Then the good, you know, the good goal is to move athletes from where they are to where they want to go. So that's all we we can try to do. What is important? What matters most? Here's what we're going to do for that. And let's write down together some things, because I don't know why it still works this way, but I tell everyone, write recite, and then apply, right? So what are, so when you're with that client, maybe we can write down a couple of things they have to do when they're not with you anymore. Hey, let me just try to, you know, um, eat this, you know, just go out with the family on Fridays and that's my treat night. Um, I want to try to just do a little bit more protein during the day. You know, write those behaviors down. That is goal setting. So then what you're doing with them in the three hours may have greater benefit because there's way too much, as you said, go train for one hour and do hit and then 15 sit at a desk. So I think we're beginning to realize as a trainer, as a coach, maybe sometimes to a fault, I see this in pro sports where it's like, okay, you know, the guy or the woman can do no wrong in their sport because they're a human. All right. Well, I'm not saying we can't be tough too. And if they, you know, and if they mess up with consistency, we got to coach a little and say, all right, well, we we can't have that again next week. All right. That's, you know, all right. This week didn't go well. I've fallen back. I've tripped. I've done my cheating. You know, I've had five bad eating days in a row, but we got to move out of that. So we can't baby them completely. We're not saying exonerate every behavior because they may not have, the bandwidth, or they may not love it, but we are trying to find out where we can be effective in every single arena in their life and help them in that and have a broad understanding 
so that the practice, we be, it becomes, like I said, a global behavioral practice that is not fully centered on you when they're not with you, but at the periphery of their life, it's okay, yeah, this is, this is what Joe said. So let's, let's try to get this done. A couple of small things that'll help, you know, move them along the goal continuum. So it, I'm learning that with athletes too. You have to connect things to it. You don't just train them. I don't just train them anymore in a movement. I connect the movement to something that they may feel that they don't excel at. Well, here we go. We're going to move it. This is going to advance it. It's another thing too. We want to build their confidence while we're going, right? You're working with them. Okay. I only lost a pound this week. Good. That's what this means. Here's why I don't want you losing five. Here's why it wouldn't be advantageous and going at this rate is a good thing. So it's a lot. It's a lot on the plate. It's a lot of constant psychology. It's a lot of negotiation, but somebody's got to do it or America, it doesn't matter what type of health care system you espouse, private sector, public, health care is a right, all good. I don't, not here for that argument. You can't have one in two adults by 2030 being pre-diabetic or diabetic and expect any healthcare system that, to, to support it. Not going to happen. Yep. It just doesn't work. We have a sick population, a really unhealthy population. And that same population curses drugs and the pharmaceutical industry. And I understand why, but without it, we'd be in really bad shape. That's what's keeping Americans alive. It's not their behavioral change. No, absolutely. It's it's putting a Band-Aid on a, exactly. on a behavioral change. And and I want to go back to that quote because I, I want to pull something out of it. I believe that's the difference, right? Athletes know where they want to go, right? Regardless if they don't know the journey, right? If you have a baseball player in college, what do they want to do? They want to play in the big leagues. So for us as performance coaches, you know, and I think it's a little bit more, they're, they're, they're a little more thick-skinned, if you will, but I can throw that in their face. Oh, you had... You didn't come to work out yesterday. You, you've been fooling around. Well, I guess you want to be in the big leagues. Oh, you know, certain things. Oh, you're batting 100. How many people in the big leagues bat 100, right? These are a little harsh, but I think these are, that's the difference, right? The general population, and not everybody, right? We are not, we're not second, you know, pulling people out. It's just as in general, most people don't really know where they want to go or where that's they right. can go, right? As an athlete in their, in their desired sport, at, at the time that they're ready to commit to you as a performance coach, they want to be at the, at the pinnacle, right? Most yeah. kids aren't playing in a sport and coming to see you five days a week because they don't want to play baseball in college or, or beyond that or soccer or what have you. But I think in the general population, just I want to be healthier for my kids. And that's a, I think that's a, a phenomenal goal and so Absolutely. much better than let's make the big leagues. But there's so many variations in that. What does that mean for you? Right. Because I can't sit you down and say, well, you know, if we work out three times a week for the next six months, that will decrease your risk of heart disease by 40 percent. So I think that's going to work for you. Right. We don't know those numbers until it actually starts happening. And the thing is, is that you need to preserve overall health before we can make big changes. And I think that's the difference. The overall or the general population it's always things, family or activities. And none of those activities, you know, and not that they're, like I said, none of those goals usually pertain to health in terms of medical setting, right? Exactly. I want to be there to walk my child down the aisle at graduation, right? That's a wonderful, amazing goal, right? Very touching. But 
Does that say that your heart's going to be healthier? Does that say that you're not going to have diabetes, right? How can we roll those things in there? Because we, you know, it's very hard when they say that we can't say, okay, well, then in order for that to happen, you got to lose 45 pounds and you have to change your diet altogether, right? Because that's still harsh in terms of that, right? So I think it's being able to identify what they want and then, you know, through that psychology, because anybody listening that wants to get involved in this, or if you haven't, 99.9% of what you're doing is psychology, right? It, it, to do it with, seems that way, man. Because it you really have does. to, you, you know, it, the, the better and the better you get at things, you realize the more in their head that you can involve yourself, the more they're going to respond, you know, and, and to Tony's point with being hard, I don't think it, it, and it's not a soft thing, right? It's also, you have to, but I think it's a balance, right? I think a lot of times you see the people that scream at you on the first day and the person's terrified, right? To the point I made earlier, the woman that I'm thinking about in, in, in my story, she was, you know, went to the gym and then she didn't go for 11 years because her trainer screamed at her and yelled at her and made her feel terrible. So she said, Joe, this woman, I was terrified to come here. I just told her to eat my $500 and I didn't go back to the gym for 12 years. And those are terrible, terrible stories. But I think it's not only, you know, psychology in the way of, I need to go, you know, read Freud and and Jordan Peterson. It's more of, you need to understand your own psychology. And if you're a rah-rah person who believes that fitness is, is the greatest thing in the world, right? And you're like, you know, Ben Stiller in Dodgeball, that's amazing, but you also have to identify who you're training and how they're going to take it because right. just because you love fitness, right. Does not mean 90% of the time your clients aren't. So you have to figure out how I can push my passion on somebody who thinks doesn't even think about what I do as something fun and make it that way, or at least take those person's inner goals or the things that they want to do. Usually family's good, right? Family, children, those are good things to kind of stir around in the mixer because they're very powerful, right? Don't sit there and say, well, if you're dead, you know, you can't do this, right? We want to be nice, but it's, do you want to be around for this thing? Do you want to be able to pick so-and-so off the ground in 20 years, right? Are these things you want to do? And then you, you pull from that and you find out what they care about. And then as Tony said, we loop what we like to do or the things that we know will help into those things. Right. And then every time we're kind of out of a push pull odds with that client, now we, we can be a little harsh. Hey, I don't want to do any more of this aerodyne bike. Okay. Well, but you said you wanted to be at your daughter's graduation, right? Yeah, well, exactly. well, three more of these is going to help that. Right. We, we use those, those little almost droplets, right. In a glass of food coloring, we put those in there when we need, right. We're not screaming. If they're 15 minutes late for a session, you said you want to be at your daughter's graduation. Not the time, right? We want to, you know, that's enough. That's more of a respect thing. But when it comes time to push, those are the things that it's able, because we do it in athletics, right? Just athletics is a little different because if a kid's late, we can say, well, apparently you don't want to win UFC heavyweight champion because you've been 20 minutes early. That's easy to throw in their face because right away they know you're right. The guy that's the champion right now isn't doing this crap. But as the general population, there's nobody to, to pick with. You can't say, well, your neighbor is, is doing this exact same thing and, and she plays with her kids every Saturday. Exactly. There, is no, there is no thing to look at. It's basically, we're explaining to you that if you do this thing that I think is good, that you know nothing about, is, is, is I think going to help you be better in a future that you think it, that is uncertain, right? We don't know. There is no stapled down things except for the fact that we know for a fact sunlight, 50 minutes of activity is better for optimal health to achieve. Well, you know, and 
I like, and what we can do, Joe, is because you're very right. It's a very general goal to say, too, also, oh, yeah, I just want to be there for my daughter's graduation. And then, but, but, okay, then we marry it to that and say, oh, okay, great. Um, then I think part of the goal is, like you said, we can lose the 10 pounds and here's the benefits it'll have on the, your heart. You know, it might lower the cholesterol a little bit, um, give you more energy, keep you more active. We'll have, you know, more joint support with our strength training. We'll keep you moving in all of that. So, so we could take their broad goal and just, all right, cool. You know, if we, if we lose the 10 pounds, like you, you know, that was their goal too, even though broad, if we lose those 10 pounds, Hey, keep a cup, you know, blood pressure in good check, keep the eating reasonable. So now we give them a little bit more specificity based upon the, the, the outcome goal to be there and just why we're doing it with a little bit of definition, a little bit of definition. Okay, great. Cool. Want to get there? Here's how we're going to get there, right? We'll keep your weight optimal. You said it's probably about 15 pounds less. We'll get that, right? The heart, hey, everybody's heart's resilient. It wants to beat for 120 years. So we're going to create a nice environment where it'll keep going. The exercise will do that. Make a few dietary changes. This will probably bring the cholesterol down. Whatever it is, blood pressure will be better. And now we are just moving toward you being there. So it isn't as if we discount or remove you know, what we're doing and, and utilizing uh, markers and improvements in physical qualities. We just marry them to the long-term goal. They become the process goals. Good. We'll lose a little weight. That'll keep us there. That'll keep us healthy. Awesome. Well, you know, this cardio is going to get the heart stronger. Under these conditions, you will. You, the heart is resilient. And you got, and the truth is, for most people, you got to go out of your way to get heart disease. It, 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 you really do. You gotta, you gotta practice behaviors poorly for a while. You know there are genetics, no doubt. There are people I know at double, you know, double quadruple, two quadruple bypasses before fifty six. I mean, they didn't really take care of themselves, but that's still really early. But we have that ability. You know, we're not we're not discounting fitness by just embracing their broad general goal. We're also defining, well, here's how we stay healthy. Here's by what coming here will do. You get an extra hour of sleep, okay? Helps balance A, B, and C, reduces the stress. That's going to keep you here longer. So easy ways to take a little bit of science, fun way, correlate it to what their goal is. The outcome, they'll give you right away. Oh, I want to be there in 20. Oh, I want to lose 40 pounds. We develop to the best of our ability some fun, tangible things along the way that are the process goals that we could define and say we're on our way. Here's how we get to the outcome. We'll do a little of this. We'll do a little of this. We'll do a little of this. And if we can get that done, you're on your way to the outcome. Yep. Uh, absolutely. I, I think that that's, you know, being able to, to assess that outcome, you know, yep. and, and being able to understand what that means for the person too. I think that's the other thing, right? Because one of the things that, that I've seen happen over the years, and, and I'm sure you have too, is when a person tells you they want to lose 15 pounds, there's a lot more behind that. That's just the only way that they know sure. how to how to express that, right? Right. I want to be able to run up a mountain. Well, no, they have a friend that looks really good and they run mountains every day. So they associate those things with you know, run a mountain. So I think that's, again, where the psychology comes. Most of the time, 
there's a vision of something, whether it be a commercial, a friend, an athlete in there, but they only pull out a little bit of it because it's what they want, right? Because again, weight to me has always been, I'm always how, right? How and why? I want to lose 15 pounds. Why? Do you know you're going to look like in 15 pounds? Do you know you're going to feel in 15 pounds? 15 pounds of what? Do you want to put muscle back on while doing that? Or you just want to drop 15 pounds, right? These are the things that a lot of times they won't specify. So I think that is another thing to understand is most of the goals that your clients are going to give you at the surface without you digging in there with a, with an ice pick. So be is very, um, are very general. I want to lose 15 pounds. Why? Because they, they just picked 15 pounds and ideally they want to look better, but they took 15 pounds. So I think those are certain things that come up and understand. And and Tony, I want to bring it up before I forget, but I just want to talk about wearing the mask, right? The, the certain things in which we should be careful of with exercise. I don't want to go crazy, but I do know for me and everybody listening out there, I noticed some respiratory changes in general, working out the mask on, breathing in my own recycled oxygen and, and certain like that. So I just want just a little bit of, of an explanation of what is actually happening with the saved oxygen and, and what some of the things maybe people can do uh, to make sure that they don't have any issues with respiratory stuff while being forced to wear a mask. Yeah, well, well, one great thing would be if your if your climate allows, be physical outside so you don't have to, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, you're right, Joe. There's a, there's so much debate with the masks. And first, we'll we'll talk. You know, there's a lot of data out that does. I'm not here to start political argument, mm-hmm. but um, the efficacy of the mask could easily be questioned to begin with. I mean. Uh, there's a lot of meta-analysis. I read some this morning, actually, that, you know, even the N95s or whether it's the surgical, they, they may help. They may help under certain conditions, but probably do not. You're talking in terms of, I guess, you know, that the smallest, we, what is it, one millionth of a meter is like the smallest opening in those masks. And yet the coronavirus, uh, that's, that's as small as we can reduce, I think. And the coronavirus is, what, a billionth of a meter? Something like that. So easily can move in and out. Um, so, you know, I get it. Uh, is there a, how, how efficacious is a mask in a gym? I don't know. But nevertheless, there's legitimate things to look at. I mean, you know, hypercapnia, you do, you, you're recycling your own carbon dioxide, you're having a harder time removing it. So if you're talking in terms of a mask that is, you know, deemed something to protect you from COVID, I don't, you know, it's not something you want to exercise with, with higher intensities, with great frequency, um, maybe weight training, but cardio you can get away with, but cardiorespiratory training with the mask, in my view, is um, from a you know physiological perspective, from cardiorespiratory dynamics, probably not great. Probably not great. I mean, again, there's it's harder to release carbon dioxide. You have and it, you know a little bit of hypercapnia. Yeah, you make the. You, you know, a lot of times people just talk about, oh, you eat a acidic diet or an alkaline diet. I mean, to an extent, the, the mask under heavy cardiovascular training could contribute to a little bit more of an acidosis, mild, not mm-hmm. severe. So, you know, is it 
most masks, and you know, we saw the altitude mask too. And then some people would argue there were benefits there from the, from the you know, uh, perspective of increasing inspiratory muscle strength. But I don't see that either. And that could be practiced individually. So in terms of, are there severe negative effects? I don't want to go off the deep end with the severe, but in a fitness center and training with the mask, I do think there are significant disadvantages for they become a first a greater harvest for more germs mm-hmm. in, in, in such and, and we touch it more there. Um, you have to. You're constantly adjusting the mask when moving. So, you know, and then there's more adjustment and then you're touching the equipment then you're touching the mask. And the question then becomes, does it just become a deposit for more germs as opposed to something that's stopping most of them? A surgical mask is meant to stop blood, right? N95s are meant to stop you from breathing in asbestos or chemicals that uh, when you're maybe bug sprays to rid out some bugs. I don't, they're just not designed for stopping something like the COVID-19. Now, if you sneeze and you have it, do you reduce the risk by 50%? That's your, maybe, maybe. But in terms of optimizing your cardiovascular training with it, there's no, I don't see any benefit there, how it would optimize it. It just inhibits it. That's all. You're performing probably at a lower intensity, despite the fact that that you don't think you are. Mm -hmm. So because- the oxygen intake and the carbon dioxide release is limited. Yeah. So for, from a standpoint of, let's say performance, can, if you're, say you're a higher level athlete, can you hinder your performance? Like, like in terms of without the mask by using it, say you have to go to the gym and train, right. But you're a high level athlete and you run, you do aerodyne bike, blah, blah, blah. And I wear the mask. Can I, is, I know that, you know, there's, there's less oxygen, right? It's going to make it harder. The heart rate's going to go up. It's going to constrict the blood vessels, all those things. But is there any telltale or documented things that could happen in terms of negative effects, you know, down the road? If, if I went from doing my aerodyne bike workout without a mask on, and now for the last year, I've been doing a few rounds with it on, is there any health risks or, or maybe exercise risk, if you will, to being a highly trained person, using the mask with a highly trained thing. Cause I do know, you know, if you're a person who's not, doesn't work out, that's also the dangers with this. If you're sedentary and then you decide to go to the gym in all this going on and we put a mask on you now, the risk of you passing out, having a heart yeah, attack, that's the problem. different things are huge. And we'll get to that after this, but just for right now, in terms of athletic performance, is there any damage you can do by using a mask, doing your hit or running training as opposed to not? And I think it's a good question, and I don't think we know fully, but, you know, from a long-term perspective mm. yet, because we haven't had to confront it, you know, and we don't, it's hard to say, but here's what I will say. First, it interrupts what we put so much emphasis on today, and that is maximizing our breathing ability, mm-hmm. right? And we are training athletes today to be better breathers, if you will, diaphragm, you know, diaphragmatic, of course. Um, at higher intensities. That's not going to help that. The pattern, particularly expiration, because we're getting a buildup. There's no doubt some carbon dioxide is building in that, up in there and, and we're taking it right back in. So that in the long run, in my view, hinders performance because if we're lowering the level of oxygen in the blood, you think you're pushing through that. 
well, what you're doing, what if you're doing it? And then subsequently you do have a relatively complex motor skill associated with that higher intensity. If it's even oxygen deprivation, even if you're respirating anaerobically, you need it for the brain, right? If it's oxygen deprivation, uh, you're, you're lowering the standard of performance. And if you're lowering that standard, then I would question how efficacious is the training? Because you're not optimizing it. I don't, there's no benefit to me to wearing a mask under training conditions, particularly when you don't fight or do any sport in it. Go to the altitude if you really want to try and, you know, train high and compete low. Now, an epoxico, partial pressure tent, there you go. There's value there. Why? Legitimately changes the partial pressure. But here's the other thing is, you know, the, you might, again, if you go, if you train in anaerobically and in high intensities in, a, in, a, in an altitude chamber, you might get a little bit more buffering capacity there and improve that. But I think you can improve that in the absence. Um, but also the other thing too, when does most adaptation occur? It's sleep. If you're not sleeping in altitude where there's a partial pressure change, how much adaptation are you getting? Like if you think this mask is benefiting you. So under no circumstances is it, there's plenty of ways to make training tougher. There's plenty of ways to challenge your respiratory system to take in more oxygen, utilize it, deliver it. A mask under no circumstance is. I think you're lowering the bar of your ability by wearing it. If you're you know, decreasing the, the breathing efficiency and decreasing oxygen intake. The goal is to perform at a higher level, not thwart it in that capacity, which is all I see it doing. What are the long-term health benefits? There are some people say they're more psychological than they are physiological. And I'm not here to state if I know right now what the long-term benefits are, because who's trained for nine weeks or nine months in a mask? No one. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And but I, to I me, it's a way to lower the bar of performance at the time you're doing it. And if you lower the bar in your practice and your ability to augment performance, you're probably lowering how quickly you're advancing it. Don't see the purpose at all. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think that that, you know, not even talking about the surgical stuff, but that the altitude is it's not altitude. Right. As you know, when you go into altitude, your whole body changes. It identifies yeah. that we have less oxygen in the air. So you have less red blood cells in the bloodstream. So it starts to, you know, it starts to save oxygen and conserve it and pull it towards, you know, the, the heart and the brain and, and limit how much goes out into the limbs and, you know, get as much to your brain because it knows if that doesn't have oxygen, the whole system's in trouble. Exactly. And, you know, everything starts, you, you sweat differently, right? You have convection, you lose, you're losing hydration, you're losing different things. These are all the things that work out at an altitude that the mask don't provide. And that's what I said. I used it personally for people out there. I had some knee issues. So I used to use it because I know that with a mask on in five minutes, I can get my heart rate up to 200 without any form of, of you know, hurting my, my knees or, or any pain in the legs. So that's what I used it for. But I think that whole thing with you know, using that is it's just the way you're, you're, you're limiting yourself. And plus, you know, Tony, when you were talking about it, we don't breathe right anyway. I don't breathe perfectly. Right. We don't right. know how to breathe at all. And now you put something, you know, that's, that's there to, to constrict. And I, and I also think I have a problem because I see it too. 
people wearing those masks now as a, as a means to protect again. That's not protect against anything. I mean, I've worn an altitude mask and somebody was cleaning the window 15 feet from me and the, the Windex went right into my right into my mouth. Uh, no, yeah. You know, it's, no, like no, connecting a, it's like connecting a fan blaster to your. That, yeah, that's a screen door on a submarine. Yeah, exactly. So that's, you know, and, and by the way, most of these masks are Yeah. in, in terms of COVID. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they are. They're just screen doors on the sub. That's all they are. Yeah. And I, I think that that's where, you know, another thing is if you have to wear if you're, you know, if you're if you have to wear to gym, which most gyms you have to, you know, do your your resistance stuff, but your cardio stuff, you want to do that outside where you can get a big breath in. You could run yeah. around with your mouth open. You want to breathe in, right? You want to stay away from running with you know that mask because like i said all that stuff's in there you're you know how many people wash it every day you know you're just kind of breathing i mean i know for me i mean i'll have these booming sneezes you know two or three hours after and, and different things and and it's just it's just a big thing i mean i can't i you know everybody out there don't sue me but i pull my mask down when i use the aerodyne bike because there's nobody within 40 feet of me because i can't do it with a mask on i'll die you know and you notice that thing but you see people doing that or running around tracks inside and i'm like you know, somebody's got to say, look, it, it makes sense, but you want to be outside. You want to get the oxygen and that's what makes you better. It, it helps balance out things. And if you're, if you're, especially if you're a person who's not trained, you're going to the gym to do something that your body already deems not any fun and, and, and an alarm. And now we have our face covered, you know? So I think that's, you know, I was very afraid to be honest, the January 2nd this year, because from my time in gyms, I've seen people have heart attacks, tear their shoulders up, pass out right january 2nd is is like you know death day at a gym if you will yeah uh, and anybody out there listening i would take that day off if i were you and, and come back on the third or the fourth but i was like you know something bad could happen here because i've seen terrible things over the years and, and this isn't you know just for people out there it's the day after new year's when people get gym memberships for christmas and a lot of people unfortunately come and they try to undo 30 years of bad habits in half an hour and we, a lot of the times we end up with adverse health effects, people falling on treadmills, tearing shoulders. But those are the things I was worried about, you know, and I think these are, again, things that need to be talked about. Hey, if you are sedentary, if you're looking to work out during this pandemic because you've had a lot of time to think about life, do use judgment and, and be cautious when doing cardio and certain things with a mask on. If you're a person who already trains, just be diligent that you're, you don't notice any patterns in breathing, anything that change, have any trouble. If you don't train, however, be very careful, right? If you're used to yes. walking at two and a half, go in the gym and walk at two at point one. If you're used to lifting weights normally, but it does make you tired, do half the sets and rest, right? Because this mask is going to change the dynamic because it's cutting off the amount of not only oxygen, but just oxygen rich air in general, because there's already stuff flooded in there because we're recycling a lot of what we're trying to get rid of. And I do think, again, what we have seen is gyms have not been proven to be a spread to begin with. Oh, absolutely. I, you uh, know, so, mm-hmm. you know, th- th- that's, <laughs> and, and I understand the hyper precaution, but you know, it's very nice for people who work for the government to have all these precautionary methods and hyper precaution because, you know, their paycheck still comes in mm-hmm. and they say they get that, but they don't. Um, they just don't. And my point to all that is, Joe, is that there comes a point where, um, yeah, the, it, it, it's not cliche. I mean, if we continue to stay shut down, continue 
even after somebody's got the vaccine to double mask and you're urging the same standards and protocols, um, then unequivocally, unequivocally, I, I think, what was it, drug overdoses? One of them were down. Uh, they weren't down. They were about parallel. But, you know, the year of COVID suicides were up, as an example. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, or vice versa. Um, something was up alarmingly because of the point that, you know, uh, we, we're not meant anymore to just live like that. So people need, if they need to get to a gym, do physical activity. Most of the people I knew have taken wonderful precautions. The cardio equipment is spread out. All right. Um, you want to keep the mask over the mouth a little bit. Fine. You need, you're really supposed to breathe out, but at the very least, get the air in through the nose. It can be lowered during cardiovascular activity. Um, nobody's allowing it's every other treadmill right now. So there's no benefit there. I don't, I don't, I don't know who's rationalizing health benefits to wearing a mask while training in a gym precautionary measures. That's for the others to discuss, but definitely no benefit. And at this point um, there's no, I, I, People wearing it outside while walking. Oh my God. I don't understand that, particularly when there's nobody within 50 feet. I read somewhere, Tony, the people that do that in their car and walking down the street, they are, quote, preventing themselves from giving them the disease. Yeah. I was like, what? I see it all the time. Listen, I'm not trying to, you know, not, not taking sides here, but you don't have to wear it in your car. You don't have to wear it walking around outside. Yeah. It, it's a, it's at the, at the end of the day, it's a virus. It connects to a host. It doesn't just float around free in the air and hook onto anything. This isn't a Disney film. And it's, but, yeah, it's not a big fan of the sun either. Yeah, exactly. You know, it doesn't last, but, but like I said, that's the same thing. And, and I think the quote that sticks up people that work out, don't get sick. Not that they don't at all, but for the most part, people in the gym, right. People at your local gym working out mine personally, right. We have a 500 person limit because it's gigantic. It's about probably 40,000 square feet, right? We got a soccer field and everything else. It's the same people at the same times all the time. It's been that way since they opened up in October. So I think those are the things that we need to start to kind of think about, you know, why do we have to do all this stuff? Because gyms are what make you, what make us all healthy, right? And if you take those away, you're going to, you're taking away things. But at the end of the day, also, Tony, and I think the, the best part about the, the kind of family that we have throughout the entire fitness industry, and I know I did it, I'm sure you did. Once we were identified, we weren't going to a gym. I started running outside. I started biking, right? That, that itch that you wake up with every morning where, wow, I've been sitting down for three days and I feel like, I feel absolutely terrible, right? Because we I, talked about it before. If yeah. I watch television and lay in my, I feel absolutely atrocious, right? The other day, my back hurt so bad I couldn't walk. I hiked up a mountain and I felt better, right? So these are the things you end up in. So I think there is also that, although we are not able to get to gyms or, or at the time when they were closed, most people that are involved are going to find another way to become active. But I also think it's important to keep in mind as, profi- as health you know, professionals, as fitness professionals, how do we make it so that you know, we can get people that don't want to work out, go to the gym, and now new goal, how do we get people with COVID who haven't worked out, who have been sitting inside, who have been isolated from their families, how do we get them now to come out and go to the gym? And how do we get them to move around? Because, you know, I just want to touch on this too. 
although it's great that everybody's doing virtual stuff and oh, it's great that everybody's buying, you know, the Pelotons and the Nordatrax, I'm interested to see in somebody I talk to also, what are the injury rates going to be, right? Because you go from sedentary and now I'm on a Peloton for 45 minutes a day. And I mean, I'm not going to name names, but I do know a group of people or, or a certain amount have some abductor problems and some hamstring issues because they've gone from no working out and now we're doing, you know, 45 minutes of high intensity on a bike. Yeah. Yeah, no, those are not all good points too. You, that's really zero to 60 because now you got, you even got a sedentary population that was extra sedentary yeah. at this time. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, that'll be something we'll have to converse with, you know, I think in another time too, like, how do we get, how do we get them out? They, the, you know, the closing message on my part, though, is this. Okay, being healthy is not an insurance that you won't get sick. It's just a pretty, it really increases the chances that you'll respond to it much better. Or if there's a medication that you need, your body will work along with that medication much, much more effectively, Joe. That's what it is. I mean, you know, if we can say relatively healthy, keep the weight balanced, get good sleep, we'll limit something like an obesity mediated inflammation, which is chronic low grade inflammation, which we're, we're pretty comfortable that happens in most. And when a virus would come, uh, you know, you have, you have this inflammation preempted by the low grade and it super comp compensates more. And point to that is that's how people really died from it. Um, right. Your own immune system is what's doing it, not the virus per se. So, the goal is, you know, in advance, whatever that takes and all the things we've discussed is just to be a bit healthier. It, it's not a guarantee that nothing will happen, but it's a probability that you'll be able to handle whatever happens much more effectively. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a, a great place to, to end there on the final thought. And I couldn't agree more, you know, takeaways continue to do the things that we've always talked about as a profession. And the better that we get at those things, the, the better we'll be at, at, you know, ridding disease and being healthier. And, and I right. think that even though, and, and you touched on it beautifully there, even though we're in a pandemic and there's things going on, it's concentrating on those same things, right? The more activity we get, the more efficiently our body is at fighting off disease, the more activity we get, the more efficient we are at using the drugs and the things that we have to That's use right. when the body can't, can't fight off diseases. And overall, the better we become at being active and addressing our own needs, sleep, exercise, physical activity, the better we'll be against anything that comes. And I exactly think exactly, right. exactly, whatever, you know, this, this is an eye opener. And the fact that we need to be healthier, that's it. Yep. It doesn't matter. And there's no answer to how it's just, we need to be individually healthier. And I think as individuals, they have to just take the responsibility of identifying what's the best way for you to become healthier and to achieve the goals that you want in terms of living a long, long life, happy with your family. Exactly right. There it is. How, and maybe next time we'll figure out how to get the whole world to do it, Joe. Exactly. One podcast at a time. We'll change it. That's all we can do, my friend. <laughs>